After playing a sport your entire life, from youth to professional, what's the next chapter once you retire? Today, retired professional soccer player Darius Barnes shares insights on training, sports science, and rehab from his time as a player. Darius also discusses business and brand development as part of his current front office role at Charlotte FC. Let's do this. Welcome to Finding Small Wins. My name is Adam Layakino, and I am a physical therapist in the NBA and a former performance coach in Major League Soccer and the National Women's Soccer League. The purpose of this show is to have conversations that pull back the curtain on sports. We're here to learn how we can upgrade health and performance and shed some light on how industry leaders and experts are finding the small wins that help them along the way. Our conversation today is with Darius Barnes. Darius is a former professional soccer player in Major League Soccer and now serves as the president of Crown Legacy FC, the MLS Pro next affiliate to Charlotte FC in Major League Soccer. During his career, Darius played college soccer at Duke before being drafted by the New England Revolution. Over his career, Darius was a member of the 2014 Revs who went to the MLS Cup and 2016 squad who went to the U.S. Open Cup Final. Darius retired in 2019 and began his journey from the pitch to the front office at Charlotte FC. Darius shares great perspective of how his time as a player has influenced his ability to be successful in the front office while also having a strong desire to continue to learn how the business operations impact the success of the team. Now, let's jump into this conversation with Darius Barnes. These episodes are fun for me because the whole purpose of starting this podcast, or part of the purpose, was to just connect with folks with you that I haven't seen in years, used to connect, used to be on the same team. So this is going to be a fun episode because I'm curious to see where your journey has gone to, but also you got some pretty cool endeavors going on right now down here in Charlotte. So this, I think this is going to be a fun one for people. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I appreciate it. It's good to, it's good to connect and link up again. It's, um, it's obviously been some years, right, since we were in New England. So um, good to connect on this platform. So from like a 10,000-foot view, if we start like early Darius Bonds, first chapter, playing at Duke, getting drafted, where does that journey begin for you? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you see it on the surface, that's that's where it is. But, you know, that journey begins long ago. You know, I'm, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and so, you know, growing up when I was five years old, I grew up, you know, play, playing soccer and playing all sports, really. Um, you know, I tried to be as, you know, multifaceted as possible. Played soccer growing up, played basketball. You know, those are my two favorite sports growing up. Um, I was probably better in soccer, which is probably where I am where I am now. But, uh, you know, just being being able to be diverse in, you know, in different rooms, in different sports, in different arenas, you know, I think that's that was kind of a microcosm of where, I, you know, where I ended up at, um, you know, fast forward years later, um, being able to, to to have a college career, play, play soccer professionally. Um, you know, you're dealing with, you know, like I said, a lot of diverse groups and different people. And, and so, you know, as I kind of take snapshots back in my life, you know, you start to see different instances and different scenarios and situations and circumstances that have kind of played true to, to where I ended up at for sure. So then when you, there, your time at Duke, your time playing in the Carolinas, is the rivalry with UNC the hype that it lives up to be? For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I get it now. I get it now. Like that, that's something that's like, it's stamped on you. It's, t- it's tattooed on you, especially being in the North, in North Carolina now and more specifically in Charlotte, like Charlotte's full. I hate to admit it, full of Carolina fans. And so for me, I embrace, you know, as, as a Duke, I embrace the hate, you know, it's, 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 it's something, um, it's, it's a fun rivalry, you know, it's, it's a loving rivalry in some in some aspects of it, but it's a competitive one as well. And so, you know, you got those two shades of blue and those, you know, those different teams competing against each other in, in whatever sport. You know, it can be it can be soccer, it can be basketball, it could be football. You know, the teams could be 
good or not good, but it always means something. Um, I think when Duke and Carolina met this year in basketball, like both teams are unranked, but it still had the same aura and same excitement and same engagement um, as if both the teams were ranked number one and number two in the country. So um, I would say it lives up to it. I think it's the best best rivalry in college sports for sure. So then from from Duke, you got drafted by New England, right? And that was what, early 2000s? Uh, 2009. 2009, yep. so mid to late 2000s. And then we're now t- 2023. So I can imagine where the league is now to where it was when you were in the yeah. league, right? right? How has that changed over the last better decade? Yeah, I mean, the league's evolved drastically, um, to be honest. I, t- I speak with people today, and I'm like, I don't know if I could play in today's today's league. Um just from a, I mean, you look at it from from a, from a competition standpoint. Just you know the the caliber of players that are being brought into the league and the quality of play. Just how the speed of play is right now. Um, it's just a very different game. You know, people always used to talk about MLS just being very physical. You know, this league was tough from a physical standpoint, but now you're starting to see, you know, the actual talent and qualities that that players bring and. Um, it's very noticeable. Uh, at the beginning, it was baby steps, right? And so I feel like when I was in the league in, you know, 2009, coming into the league, we're at MLS kind of 1.5, 2.0. Um, you're starting to see some clubs actually generate fandom. You know, you know, when I came into the league, it was Seattle coming in. And to be able to play in front, in front of fans like that, in front of an audience, an atmosphere like that, thought it was fantastic. And then, you know, years later, you're, you know, you're seeing... You know, you, you have your Portland's of the world. You have your, um, you know, your Atlanta's of the world coming in. So you're starting to see all these different fan bases and excitement pop up in all these different areas of the country, which it's just been fantastic. And that just promotes the sport, promote, promotes the growth of the sport, uh, promotes the league, which has been fantastic. Um, and now I think we're going to start to get into to a new phase, you know, as we approach 2026 with the World Cup coming to North America, obviously hosted here in the U.S. and Mexico and Canada. That's going to be that's going to be another kind of launching pad moment, um, a moment for the league to catapult. And so I think the league's on the right trajectory. Um, MLS is on the right trajectory in terms of uh, steady growth. Um, obviously, the Apple deal, I think, is a huge one, getting more eyeballs on the game, uh, having the game being more accessible to people um, throughout the world. Um, and so I think... The league's doing, taking the appropriate steps and, um, you know, hopefully just continues to get to the point where, you know, it's known as, you know, kind of a top four, top four sport um, in the United States and not just kind of on the fringes. Where does it fit? Well, you said top four in the top four sport in the country, but where does MLS and as far, as far as rankings in the league nowadays rank? Is it considered a top four or is it kind of on the fringe like five, six? I mean, I, I think, of, you know, majority of the people put it in, in top five, I think. I mean, if you look at, depends on what metrics you look at, you know, obviously you can look at metrics very subjective or objectively, you know, if you look at it, it's cracking there with, with their NHLs and MLBs. Um, you know, some people say MLB is a, is or baseball is a, a dying sport. You know, I'm never one to, to combat any other sport, but I do think MLS is knocking on the door and being right there in terms of a sport of choice, a league of choice um, that fans want to tune into, um, you know, you're starting to get more casual fans invested in the game and attracting themselves to, you know, to their local market and their local teams, which I think is important. Um, you look at, I don't know, a market like Austin, 
uh, who you know didn't have any professional sports, and you know you're seeing what they're doing, selling out, selling out their matches um, in MLS, and us here in Charlotte, you know, having the record for attendance last year, hosting over seventy-four thousand fans um, at Bank of America Stadium. You know, people didn't think soccer could could live and survive in the South, and so I just think like, it goes to show just you know the options that we have here from an entertainment standpoint, a, a sports stamp, uh, standpoint. Um, that you can't just, you know, silo yourselves or put yourselves in a pigeonhole. Um, you know, people want these different options. People are interested in different sports and they're not just attracted to one sport. Yeah, because the South is typically viewed as football. Football country. Right, right, right. Like, and that's the thing people say, like, we're going to have to compete against football, right? But in, in my eyes, it's, it's not competing. It's just being another entertainment option, you know, for people to tune into. And I think what we've shown here in Charlotte with, with Charlotte FC is that if you... Um, if you focus on kind of the fan engagement, you put the fan first, you focus on the experience. Um, you know, a lot of people talk and they'll, they'll say our matches are very different than, than Panthers games, which we want it to be. You know, you don't want to come to the stadium and have the same experience. And even though it's a, it's a different sport, have the same experience. You want a different experience. And so we try to bring kind of that party vibe and party, party atmosphere. Um, you know, our owner said when he got the expansion bid for the team, because like, let's party, you know, we're ready to party. And, you know, we kind of took that and ran with it in terms of how do we make our match days a party, game in and game out. And so we've worked with our supporters and kind of use that as, as our tagline and as our anchor to uh, make sure we elevate. So from, you know, having a DJ, you know, on the pitch every single game to our pre-match, um, you know, ceremonies and our processionals and the music that we're, that we're vibing to and the engagement with our fans and just, pulling other things that make things organic to us and what Charlotte is. And um, I think our fans have really appreciated that and, and understood that and helped us build our brand that way as well. So what I'm really curious to hear, because you've been on both sides of the equation. You were being a player and now you're in a front office role. And everything you just talked about sounds super exciting. and something to be a part of, which having lived in Atlanta, I was able to witness when Atlanta came into the league right. and being a, seeing that from afar but not being a part of it. How does everything you just talked about from fan engagement, player engagement, all the things you're trying to do around the stadium, around the field, how does that impact the culture of the team? I mean, it impacts immensely. Just, you know, our, our fans always talk about, our, I'm sorry, our players always talk about how our fans are the lifeblood, you know, of the team. And they, you know, we have some of the best fans across the world, really, and in the MLS for sure. Um, and that, you know, you, you start to see, and, and as a player, you feel that, you know, when I was a player, I felt you know, that momentum and that energy um, and that contagiousness that fans brought. Um, you knew when, you know, fans were invested in their room behind you and pushing you. Um, and so we try to, we try to, you know, piggyback on that. We try to maximize that as much as possible. And our fans definitely feel it just in terms of, you know, it, it can be little things from, you know, the PA announcements when, you know, we're doing player introductions and, you know, it's a, it's a call and response, you know, say a player's name, uh, the crowd responds with the last name, just knowing that fans, know all these players too like that that helps fans attach themselves and helps fans um relate to these players a little bit and so um fan i mean players are definitely aware um in terms of you know when, when fans understand or when fans are um extremely engaged and, and paying attention to the game and i think our fans did a fantastic job last year just being eager to learn because we had you know a mix of you know we had soccer peers who you know watch every league every single weekend and are glued to the tv we had some casual fans who, you know, they they understand soccer. They may have played growing up, but didn't follow, you know, once they got into their adulthood. 
We have kid fans. We have, you know, fans of all different ethnicities, genders, um, nationalities, race. But the one thing about it is that they all kind of came together and they were able to start to understand collectively um, as the year went on. And that, I think that's a testament to, you know, the product we were put out on the pitch, but also uh, the product that we were providing from a match day presentation and a game entertainment standpoint as well. So then within your role right now as president of MLS Next, I'm new to MLS Next. I was, MLS Next wasn't around when we were in the league together. How, what is MLS Next? So the league it very quickly has kind of pieced together the pathway um, okay. within, within MLS. So you have MLS Next, which is essentially like our academy league. Um, that's where all of our academy teams play. So all of the MLS-affiliated academy teams play in a league, MLS Next. So when the USDA folded uh, during COVID in 2020, MLS stepped in, created MLS Next, and that's where all of our academy teams play. Last year, the league introduced MLS Next Pro. So that is our second division, um, not second division, but that, those are our second teams that play in a league, MLS Next Pro. And so this year, Charlotte FC will, will put a team into MLS Next Pro. Um, our team name is going to be Crown Legacy FC. Um, but, you know, you have your Inner Miami 2s and your Austin FC 2s and your Orlando City Bs. They'll all play in MLS Next Pro. Um, and then obviously ladders up into to the first team. And so I've been brought on to be president of um, our MLS Next Pro team for, for Charlotte FC, which is Crown Legacy FC, and essentially helping build that pathway, um, helping you know bring in the, the next generation of youth uh, players, whether that be some of our homegrown players, um, high potential players in our youth ranks, you know, scouting uh, internationally for, for prospects that we see that have the talent to push into the first team. Um, whether that's, you know, looking at college draft picks as well who need time to develop kind of in the second team before making the jump to the first team. And then you'll have players fluctuating between first team and second team, you know, whether it's a player in their, you know, return to play protocol from injury um, or it's a younger player who's on the first team who's not seeing the minutes, um, an opportunity for them to get out there and play. So MLS Next Pro, while I don't like to call it a reserve league, it's, it's pretty much a, a second team to the first team, um, and that's what the league is. So is it fair to say, let's not even call it a second tier, it's like, right, you got your Premier League, your championship, and then League One, like, is that kind of how you guys are trying to organize Similarly, it? Similarly, I would say that the good comparison, and, and you'll get this, is like MLS Next Pro is basically gonna be like our G League. You know, how each NBA team has an affiliation, you know, kind of with their G League affiliate. Every MLS club, you know, has a MLS affiliate and MLS Next Pro as well. But there'll also be some independent clubs playing in MLS Next Pro as well. So this year and last year, Rochester um, was an independent club and the, the league's on a uh, kind of on a, on a tear right now on an expansion strategy to bring soccer to more kind of smaller markets. Um, and these are kind of the markets that they'll target to put MLS Next Pro franchises. I was gonna, so, okay, that was going to be my next question. Is like MLS Next Pro a like precursor to be a franchise in MLS? Are they truly like, hey, MLS Next Pro, maybe those smaller markets like you alluded to, like a Rochester, maybe a Birmingham, and then your actual MLS teams, those are different expansion. Exactly, yeah, those are those are different markets. I'd say MLS Next Pro is kind of, um, like it's, it's a strong focus on local communities, you know, the pillars of MLS Next Pro, you know, local communities, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, player development. Player development's the, the biggest one, having a, having a platform and a league for, you know, some of our high potential youth players um, and then to scout, you know, prospective talents internationally and bring them into the MLS family and MLS fold. Um, 
is, is what this is all about. So at the pinnacle is player development, making sure, you know, we're able to find the best players, bring them into um, our MLS environments and for us in, in Charlotte and develop those players to become first team players. Now, within your role as president of the MLS Next Pro, uh, president, I, I hear different titles in soccer, sporting director, president. I think some teams still may say a general manager. So could you delineate what that means for you? Yeah. So it, it's funny you ask that. I mean, I wear a number of different hats, which is which is fun. You know, I, I assist our president on the first team, kind of on first team business operations. For me, my main responsibility um, is leading the business operations for Crown Legacy FC, our MLS Next Pro team. And then I work in uh, tandem with our technical director, uh, Bobby Belair, on kind of the, the, the technical aspects and the roster build and our head of scouting, Thomas Schalling. Um, so it's kind of a jack of all trades, kind of across the board, mostly focusing on the business operation. So that was building a brand. Like for us, we wanted to build a separate brand for um, for our second team and not just be Charlotte FC2. Um, and so we had a brand exploration, um, create a new identity for the team once we landed on Crown Legacy FC. Um, and so that was a big one. And then, you know, obviously going into to partnerships and ticket sales and our community engagement um, how our players are showing up in the community and what that looks like, how um, my conversations with, with the league and, you know, the board in terms of what future expansion looks like, what um, kind of what the league looks like going forward, how we can enhance things, how can we modify things from a league standpoint, um, which is also good for, for the first team. And so it's kind of a kind of a jack of all trades job, to be honest. And so from like for your time as a player to migrate to the front office, do you feel like there's things now that you being as a player have dramatically influenced your ability to do what you're doing now on the front office side. I mean, I think just a collective understanding, right? Um, you know, for me, when I when I retired, I wanted to to learn the business behind the league more. Um, that was just kind of where you know that tickled my fancy a bit. Just learning, kind of. I've already I've already been a player. I've I've known the competition aspect of it. I've known the technical side of it. Um, now let's kind of learn the business behind the league. What's driving the league? Why are certain decisions, you know, being made. So for me, that was easier coming, you know, coming off the pitch into the front office side and kind of understanding the product. Like, you know, the, you know, the core product, you know, I know this game inside and out, um, but to know kind of the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, what drives revenue, what, how are brands looking to associate and partner with the league and trying to elevate their brands? How are you developing partnership packages that align with their goals and objectives? You know, understanding ticket sales a little bit, um, just just understanding the real like commercial value um, of the league and, you know, how that value kind of waters or cascades down to, to the player aspect also. So I think just having a general understanding, you know, of the game and being involved in the game and, you know, I look back and, you know, I was doing player appearances <laughs> when I was playing in, in New England. And you back then, I just like I thought I just showed up like I thought I was just kind of engaging with some some kids and, you know, a brand. But to understand that this is like an asset that those brands, you know, they paid for um, and it was an asset that they they value and the asset that they want to capitalize on. You start to understand that a little bit more once you're able to kind of remove yourself off the pitch. So I think it's also a little bit different times, too, I think the idea of sports being a bigger brand. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we're trying to create something separate from the first team, which I think is important as well. Right. I think maybe back then I was like, oh, like this is, this is a minor uh, detail I have to attend to mm -hmm. as being a part of a player as part of the roles. And maybe it was just tough to see the bigger picture. Because I remember 
they all being like, oh, man, I got to go. You know, I got this player appearance this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you guys, like, a, lot, a lot of times you guys would really enjoy those because they'd be part of organizations or associations you guys were invested in yourself. And then at other times, kind of, they're just these random ones. And I guess it's maybe what I'm hearing you say is it may be tough to not understand. If you don't understand the vision or the brand behind it, maybe it's hard to be invested in it. Yeah. And it's just like, you didn't know what you, you didn't know. Like if certain brand aligned with your, you know, with your thoughts and values and, and beliefs, like you were just kind of, we were just kind of told, but like now if you I feel like a lot of players are doing more to kind of peek behind the curtain and making sure um, you know, it's, it's twofold, right? Like making sure that values and beliefs are, are aligned, but also making sure that, you know, how can it be a two-way street? It's not just providing something to the partner, but how can a partner kind of provide something back to the players or it's mutually beneficial to kind of lift, lift both brands, right? Absolutely. Because right, there's always the business side of it too. That's exactly. Like, at the end of the day, like you're, that's, yes, you are, as a player, you want to go out and just play the game that you love. But one thing I've realized that we're all in a space of entertainment. Right. And as a product you have to sell, and it's not just the product that's on the field as well, because there's other ways to generate revenue aside from ticket sales. Right. And it's just like you, it, it's relationships, right? It's building relationships. Like back then it was just like, okay, you're, you'll be here at 3 p.m. sign autographs for an hour and then, then you leave. But like, I think what, what I've grown to know, and I'm sure you can, you know, sympathize with this is just like how important relationships are. Um, you know, wherever you go, whether it's a personal or professional relationship or business relationship, like investing time into those relationships because you never know, you know, when you get, when you can help each other out or when something's going to, you know, kind of come to fruition or, or plan out or when you'll need someone or when they'll need you. It, it's all, you know, relationship based. And I'm not saying you do things to, to get something in return, but just actually building and connecting, you know, with people. I think there's true value in that just in, just to expand networks and to expand thinking and expand growth. Well, then we're, we're human beings at the end of the day. Right. And like yeah. we thrive on relationships. Right. And yeah. if you don't have those, I think you probably struggle in whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, 2,000%. Couldn't agree more, <laughs> man. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so if we run it back to when you were a player, like yeah. it's kind of like two really like questions that I have been like really curious about the last few days that I thought about when we were going to link up. First one is your time from playing every minute to every game your first mm-hmm. year to at some points in your career, having some tough injuries to battle yeah, yeah. through, right? So being a player that had a good career, played several games, played many years, mostly with the same club, which is not common nowadays. How did you manage to stay positive during those tough times? Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's a mindset, right? It's just, you know, staying the course. And I think, I think a lot of it comes to how I was brought up, you know, just control the controllables. You know, there's, there's some things that, you know, cross your path that you just absolutely have no control over and you can't, you know, there's no need to spend much energy on that. And for me, you know, I, I tried to, to I, I, I value myself as being a locker room guy and trying to be a positive influence on people and positive attitude and just being very optimistic about things. And, you know, if you spent time and energy, you know, things you couldn't control, it was wasted time and energy. And so, you know, you got to maximize for me, you got to maximize each day, you got to maximize each opportunity that you're given. And if, you know, if you're, you know, spending time, you know, sulking about, about an injury, you're not spending time trying to get better. And so that's just try how I attacked everything. And I think it's probably something that was instilled in me, you know, by my parents, just in terms of, you know, put your best foot forward, 
um, try to go out there every day and, you know, do everything you can to, to be better and get, get a bit better each day. And so I try not to, although there's easier said than done, there's always some challenges that, that come your way. Um, you know, you, you get through those by being mentally tough and mentally strong. You mentioned kind of like doing the things day in and day out, just showing up, being being a good pro. Right. But like from training, rehab, uh, were there things that you found that helped you uh, along the way to kind of maybe find those wins on the days that maybe were a little bit more challenging or the days that were a bit more monotonous, that, let's go to set in, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think for me, it's just, you know, you try to try to find that routine and you you had to think of it to your point as being a pro. Like when you, if you were healthy and you're going out there, you know, going out on the pitch, you're going out on the court, field, whatever, um, you're going out there trying to give give it your best. You know, you're try, going out there trying to perform to to an elite status, right? You're trying to give your absolute best. And so when I attack rehab or any type of injuries I had, I tried to do the exact same thing. Like where as an athlete, you're, you're a competitor. You know, you're trying to... to, to when you're doing rehab, you're trying to beat yourself every single day and get a bit better every day. So, like for me, I attacked everything as if it was a training or if it was if it was a match, um, and just tried to to make sure I was winning. Just having that winning mentality um, is something I think helped me persevere and push through when I had injuries. Um, and then you know sometimes you you know you can have a winning mentality and, and go out and lose. Like <laughs> just having a win, winning mentality doesn't mean you're going to win. You can go out and lose, but Got to dust yourself off, go back and, you know, course correct and see where you maybe have made some mistakes and, you know, go back, watch the tape and do it again. One thing that comes up on this show a few times is like the, the concept of finding a small win, right? Because in, in, in sports, right, like you're, you're always going for the win at the end of the week, at the end of the night, whatever it may be. But like what I just heard you say, sometimes you just got to show up with the right attitude. Like how would you define what a small win is from your time playing? Small win for me on on the pitch could be me as a defender was, you know, a tackle, you know, it it could be the first pass, like trying to do something positive, trying to influence a game in a positive, in a positive light, you know, from an injury standpoint, it it was, you know, supporting teammates, you know, supporting teammates, been out there when you couldn't go out there and perform, how do you support your teammates and how could you, you know, give advice to younger players um, that are getting their opportunity to, to be a professional uh, it was, um, you know, making progress, you know, when I'm, you know, had knee injury, when you're on the alter jeep, how do you go a little bit, a little bit faster? You know, how do you take a little bit of the resistance off, um, lift a little bit more, squat a little bit deeper, like just those small wings, just track, tracking progress, you know, just, you know, trying to measure things in a way that you're able to track your progress and see, and see growth because it's, it could be easy to go out there and just, you know, kind of willy nilly go day by day and not not track anything, but to actual track, actually track your process and see where you're making strides or not even strides, where you're making baby steps. Um, I think being able to see that, for me, I'm a, a visual person. So being able to actually see that helped me, you know, look over the, the long course and the long term. Like, oh, I've taken all these small baby steps and it, it's got me a few yards, you know? So you, you said uh, the other point, I was really curious to hear your, your take on, and you kind of alluded to it just there, was being able to measure it. Yeah. or a small objective, right? When my entry point with the Revs was sports science mm-hmm. and the, the big green box, the Adidas, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Adidas my coach, yeah. right? Yeah. So, right, like from as a player that probably early in the league, there wasn't much sports science analytics, a lot of tech to now being in a position in the front office where analytics and tech is, is a part of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. What is your perspective on sports science and analytics? 
Man, I mean, I, w- I wish I would have had, had more of it, more data to help me make informed decisions, you know, back when I was playing. But I think, like you said, everything is, is data driven. And I, I, I still think there's an, an eye test to some things, right? Uh, but I do think having that data to help guide and manage, excuse me, manage performance and, and manage load, um, helping prevent injuries, helping pre- prevent fatigue. Um, I, I mean, all this data, I mean, more information you know, it's the more information, the better for me. And obviously people can extract it and, you know, manipulate it how, how they want to, which is what the, you know, the sports scientists and the data scientists are for. And that's why people get paid the big bucks to kind of focus on that. But I think having the information, you know, handy to be able to make informed decisions um, and then you can go do it, do it at what you want from there. But being able to have that data and information to make, you know, educated, informed decisions. Um, and for the most part, it, it pays off. I think it's fantastic. And, um, you know, hopefully that just continues to advance and more people continue to buy in to have uh, to make in, you know, sports science and data science and data analytics kind of more at the big pinnacle of making decisions. Because, um, you know, when you make decisions based on data or backed by data, I, would, I should say, uh, I think you're making a more informed decision. One point I hear some players speak on is when it comes to collecting data, because now there's a piece of tech for everything, mm-hmm. right? You can measure everything from heart rate to sleep to how much you eat, to, right? Everything that's out there. There's an app for it. There's a piece of tech for mm-hmm. it. One argument I hear from some players, and I agree with it at times, is can is this information going to hurt my negotiations for a future contract? Yeah. Right. So someone that's been a player and also on the front office side, do you think there's merit to that comment that that argument or is like is that just come down to how the information is being interpreted i think it's coming down how, how it's been interpreted and I, I also think you know bad on any sporting director or gm for using data against against players you know at the end of the day it's kind of it's biometrics is biology some of it um in terms of um how players are i guess biologically developed there's some things that players just can't can't control and that shit. And if you're performing on the day, I feel like, you know, conversations and negotiations should be based on performance and not necessarily on, uh, you know, makeup of how a person is formed, you know, physiologically. So I would say, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I would agree with that standpoint that um, data shouldn't be used against players or, you know, shouldn't be used against players to find a gap in terms of how they, you know, should be negotiated from a contract standpoint. I'll always be in players' corners from that standpoint. Yeah, rightfully so. Over the years, are there certain any like technology, even what you guys may be using right now, without giving away any dark, deep secrets? Are there any pieces of tech that you believe in were beneficial for yourself, or you're seeing beneficial for current players? I mean, I think you know, just from like a load management, like catapult. Um, I think they do a good job um, for us for for Charlotte FC, just because you're able to. You're able to monitor a number of metrics, uh, you know, one time just from, you know, power and workload and, like you said, heart rate. Um, and then just a lot, some of the some of the, the video analytics tools that, that we utilize, but I think just from a health and performance, those, uh, honestly, I can't even keep up with every single thing that our performance and, and medical team uses from, you know, the machines that are used to, you know, track ham, hamstring strength and, like you said, track sleep, um, you know, just, you know, your biomechanics, like all of that. Um, like, I think anything that you can have that's focusing on that's helping prevent injury, um, you know, I think that is certainly like worth worth the investment. And, you know, obviously you can get into details in terms of things that are like what's harmful, you know, like what's going to actually interrupt 
rather than help, you know, in terms of tracking things. So I think you got to be careful there in terms of, you know, what's kind of affect players later down the road that you may not know right now. But uh, I think for the most part, you know, the experts that are comfortable with this space, you know, I'm comfortable with it too. Follow-up I have to that was like how much is too much, right? Because yeah. you, at the end of the day, your job is to perform on the field and all this is ancillary things that require time that the goal is to optimize your performance on a field. But I have been a part of situations and heard of and seen how sometimes the need to collect tech or utilize tech or implement the data sometimes takes over from maybe just the true coaching or performance on the on the field. Like, how do you balance that? I don't think all information is reserved for everybody. You know, like I think, you know, I'd say like, the, the data scientists and the sports scientists, like they can have that, all that information manipulated. Honestly, I don't think like players shouldn't have to or shouldn't be given all the information that, you know, that's going through the, all the different formulas to, to get where a certain number, because it's going to be in your head in terms of how you're performing. I think just understanding from a, from a very high level and top level standpoint, like, no, this is your heart rate. Why is your heart rate this? Like when you do certain movements, this is where it peaks or this is where's your load in these, you know, this small sided session or this uh, this passing drill or this game. And you could see like you were running this much because, you know, you're going against this type of player um, and you seem to struggle when you're going against X type of player. Like I think that type of information is what, what players need. But when you're starting to get into the super minutia details of it all, I think that's when it starts to kind of be more of a, of a mental block than anything else. It's almost like too much theory. Not yeah, it's just a little bit of, it's just a little bit of overload, it's like information overload. Whereas it's like, when you can actually see data and you can make an objective decision on terms of how you want, how you want to proceed, or that's going to have a objective impact on, you know, on your play, then 2000%. But if it's not objectively impacting your play in terms of how you play, because being an athlete, it's artistic, right? You, you are, the, it's, personality it's how you play it's how you interpret how you interpret the game like people talk about poetry and motion right that's there's truth to that in terms of how players play and how they express themselves so i think giving too much data could sometimes strip players away of their personality in terms of how they interpret and how they play the game did you ever feel like uh from your time as a player that that you ever got in a position of that like information overload uh no i was a dinosaur man like i didn't <laughs> i didn't get i didn't get too much i mean we were heart rate monitors and we had the started to wear the gps towards the the back end so i don't i don't necessarily think it was information i'm overloaded at that point i think i wanted more information um, to seek out but i mean i think right now we're at a we're at a good spot in terms of information that players are receiving i think we could be tearing on information overload a little bit just you know you know, you're starting to like pe- people have families as an example. And you're t- talking about like sleep and obviously sleep is extremely important, but you don't understand like what goes on behind the scenes in terms of, you know, family dynamics and family issues. And, you know, player just had had a newborn and, you know, has to be up and, and wants to be involved in the kid's life and not just kind of pass it on to a nanny over or, or a night caretaker, like, but they want to be involved. Like those are things, those are like human components you, you have to think of. Whereas like sleep, sleep tech and sleep monitors aren't going to necessarily pick that up. Like you can get that anecdotally from, from the player, but you know, just looking at the data, it's going to look like you can, you can interpret that as one thing or another. It's like it's data without context. Exactly. And it's not, it's, uh, 
I mean, you can speak on this because you just had you just had a new moment, yeah. right? Like you, I'm sure you can speak upon. Man, if I was a player right now, I don't know if my sleep would be great. And yeah, then, right. You probably want to be a part of your kid's life, and like you said, do some of those things. So I think that's it's a great point you bring up because I think sometimes we get lost in just looking at the myopic mm-hmm. piece of data. I think you know the way I approach data is it should be a starting point for a conversation to just lend itself to ask more questions, right? And be willing to say, oh, well, because like you just alluded to newborn wants to be a part of their life okay we know these next three months this person's gonna struggle with sleep at times how can we try to maximize the times when they do sleep yeah and i think you brought up a good point like a lot of people look at the data and just make an assumption straight off the data and not ask those questions like that question should be asked but you know if you got to take that and internalize that and you know objectify that how you how you see fit as well. You got to get that opportunity to provide context instead of making a, you know, making an assumption based off the numbers that you're seeing. Fair. Uh, so from your time playing front office, you did, did you do any coaching at all? You had some of youth stuff now? No, I mean, I've coached like a little bit, but not in terms of like properly. I will, you know, when, once my kid gets, gets older, like I, I'll reserve most of my coaching, um, coaching there. Like for me, I needed to separate once I was done playing, kind of separate the, the the coaching and competition aspect of it all. So over over the time, like from training, rehab, tech, no tech, if someone general pop, right, not necessarily a pro athlete or uh, a college athlete, wants to upgrade health or performance, right, their own training and rehab, do you have any advice for them? It's more, it's more about it's, it's it's personalized, right? I, I would say. You know, I'd stick to a lot of like the old old school methods, right? Just in terms of taking care of your body, like your nutrition. You know, I think the nutrition component of it's a, a big piece that gets left out. I you know a little bit when you're when you're talking about rehab, like when you're going through rehab, you can't necessarily, maybe shouldn't necessarily eat in the exact same ways as if you're playing, right? Because you're not being as as active and so you might those are things that you may want to to monitor a little bit from a, from a nutritional standpoint um but I, w- I would say like when you're when you're attacking rehab and going through things just kind of kind of sector it off right just in terms of what do you need from from a nutrition standpoint um what do you need from a you know strength and conditioning standpoint um obviously players now or people now athletes now is it weights versus kind of resistance you know people you know, you see Tom Brady going like more resistance base um, and you see the longevity that he's had, but his body type isn't everyone else's body type. So I, I, I would say kind of just doing like personal assessments, I guess, is, is probably the best way to go about it. Understanding, you know, your body type and your needs. Um, I think a lot of people go into things and not understanding like who they are or what their body has the capacity to do or what their body should be doing. Um, and it's just kind of, it's not customized or personalized so i think i would think kind of challenging your your healthcare professionals and you know performance professionals to make sure that, that everything that you're doing is customized to you um and they shouldn't know your body better than you do so then from that point follow up to that is people in my space physical therapists athletic trainers performance coaches sports scientists you know we have all these big conferences they're mm-hmm. like hey let's get together yeah. how can we help our athletes be better what yeah. what does the research say Sometimes a question I think we often miss is actually just going to the source. So for those in my space, do you have any advice for us how we can better support players? I mean, I think we hit on earlier. I think ask more, just ask more questions, right? Ask more questions about um, the why behind the data, you know, that you're seeing. Um, 
or and if it's an answer you don't want to hear, go a, la- a layer deeper and like why were you doing that to you know to net out such result? Because I think I think the more you just have like it's kind of like therapeutic conversations and get to get to know player. We talked about earlier too, just relationship, like building that relationship outside of just wanting to know like the performance piece of it, but understanding their life dynamics, right? The personal dynamics. I, I think all of that helps in terms of like building that relationship and then understanding what people would be, you know, more or less comfortable with from a, from a performance and, and rehab standpoint. You know, you guys do your jobs the best in terms of understanding the text and specs and, you know, when to push and when to, when to pull back. Um, but I, I would say to that, like kind of explaining that out to players as well. Like these, these are the days that we're going to kind of push a little bit and get more aggressive at rehab. Um, and, and for players and athletes to understand, okay, why why behind this? Why are we pushing or we've been more aggressive with the rehab when you know maybe it doesn't feel the best this day and we need to understand thresholds. Like I think understanding that is whereas you a lot of a lot of times athletes just kind of go with the flow, right? It's like here's the here's the itinerary for the day, here's the schedule for the day, this is what we're gonna do. But maybe give an athlete's opportunity to give some input in that within within means, right? Not obviously understanding like all the exercises that are gonna help certain parts of the body, but give them some input in terms of like how the itinerary is being structured and set up. What I hear is education and having a voice. Yeah. 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 Which is, could be a theme of life too. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can save that one for another day. Uh, are you excited for the new Ted Lasso season? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When's it, when's it kicking off? Uh, two like weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. March. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see what angle they take. They take with this one. So uh, they need to they need to find a way to get MLS involved with. Well, they got with them in FIFA. So. They got them in the FIFA right. video game. They've got them in their the TVT that's going on out here or the yeah. Idol tournament. I think not not Ted Lasso but Wrexham. Yeah, the uh, T, the TST tournament. TST. Is gonna, yep. Wrexham yeah, yeah. got a team out here. Wrexham has a team, and um, there's a couple more high profile teams that are going to be joining in there. So I think us as a club will we'll find a way to get involved because it'll be in in Raleigh or Cary, North Carolina. So right in our backyard. Okay. Cool. Uh, one last question before you get out of here, bro. Uh, you played with some characters, my man. Oh, God. <laughs> you played with some characters. Uh, what was something like, what was one of your most favorite, like, memorable moments being a, being a pro athlete, playing in sports? I mean, I'm, I'm going to say the clichéest answer of them all, and it's just, you said play with characters, just the locker room, like the vibes, the vibes in the locker room, you know, just all the banter about, you know, this guy's like holy underwear and this guy's <laughs> playlist and, you know, in tough moments, water bottles getting thrown at people's head. Like there was just the banter and, and you knew you had to come in like top notch. Like you had to be on your toes and you had to have some thick skin to to be in a professional locker room. And I think that's what I miss most because a lot of people don't know, but like once you leave the locker room, you can't you can't say the things in a professional environment that you would in a that you in the locker room. Like locker room talk is a real thing, and not saying that it's like negative by any means, but like the way that you can just kind of chop it up and have real real conversations with you know you know some of your some of your some of your boys and some of your your best friends and some that aren't your best friends. Um, you know, I think that's. That's something that's kind of undervalued a little bit and not anything that you get, you know, in the rest of, you know, once you transition from playing, you'll never have that opportunity again. So I definitely, I definitely miss those moments, just being able to kind of banter with the guys and, you know, tell stories and 
you know, road trips, all those things. You just, you enjoy that time and, you know, it all, it all alludes to some of the success and things that you can, can look back on and hang your hat on as well. I won't press the button of asking what particular story you're telling, but we'll save it. We'll <laughs> those have been those have been suppressed. Those have been suppressed in the membrane a little bit. Oh man, well, this has been uh, fun catching up with you today. Uh, I know you you got a lot going on with the role here at Charlotte, trying to grow that space. Uh, is there is there a space for people to to follow what you guys are doing, kind of help promote what y'all are doing and what you're about? Yeah, man, I would just encourage everyone um, follow Charlotte FC, follow Crown Legacy FC, um, charlottefc.com, and then crownlegacyfc.com as well. Sweet. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Finding Small Wins Podcast. If you enjoyed these conversations as much as I do, hit that subscribe button and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. To join our Finding Small Wins community, head on over to findingsmallwins.com. For more information about me and my journey, please follow me on social media at adam.loyakino. Thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep finding your small wins.